Ladies and gentlemen, we're returning to Earth immediately. Be prepared for another space jump. Now, as they say, look alive, and we'll continue our little tour. And let's all stay together, please. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to meet all your favorite Disney stars as the Magic Kingdom proudly presents W. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 286 for the week of August 5th, 2012. This past weekend, I attended the PNW Mouse Meet, an annual fan event which takes place every year in the Pacific Northwest, and once again had the privilege of interviewing a true Disney legend. On this week's show, I'm going to share my interview with the voice of Belle from Disney's Beauty and the Beast, Paige O'Hara. We'll discuss her career, the role of Belle, creating the film, and much more. I'll then have the answer and winner for last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week and pose a new question for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Be sure and stay tuned for the announcement at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. I mentioned earlier uh, Lou Mangiello uh, donating a tour of Walt Disney World, and uh, I'd like to bring him up now. Uh, what a generous donation and uh, uh, an amazing person, podcaster, tour guide. Uh, does, uh, everyone in your gift bag, you got a, a CD? Yes. yes. Lou? Thank you, Lou, for those CDs. <laughs> Great to see you. Thanks, so you, you donated this, uh, this uh, tour. Thank you so much. You've been doing this tour for a while now. Uh, what does it consist of? So the tour is basically uh, a walking tour of Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, and we're going to explore everything from the history to the details to the overlooked experiences, uh, very sort of interactive. It's going to be a lot about what you like, what you're interested in, things that you remember or maybe don't remember, uh, I may quiz you along the way, and chances are there will be a citrus swirl stop at least once or twice. <laughs> so uh, it's a lot of fun. If you've listened to the CDs, um, play them backwards. Watch what happens. But if you like the CDs or those, audio, or those walking tours, uh, we'll get to do it together in person. It's a, it'll, it's a lot of fun. Thank you so much for that, Lou. Really appreciate it. I'm going to turn the stage over to you. We need to move on to the next speaker. That's all yours. Thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. I've been here since the first year. Uh, I, I am so grateful to be back again. I'm grateful to Don for, uh, for the opportunity to be here uh, and meet so many wonderful people. But uh, in addition to that, I've also had the distinct pleasure and honor of meeting and getting to do what I love, which is chatting with people who are true legends uh, in the Disney community. And the, next, the first guest that you're going to hear today uh, certainly needs 
no introduction, um, but I'll give you a little introduction anyway. She was born in a, in a little town. It's a quiet village every day, pretty much like the one. It's a town full of little people. So give it up. Please say bonjour to the lovely, the incredibly talented Paige O'Hara. Hi, everybody. Hi. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a preference? Yes. So, certainly... Um, Everyone knows you for the role that you uh, are, are most famous for, but I want to go back a little bit because that wasn't your very first. I want to I talk a little bit about your background and, and how you get, got started. Well, actually, when I was five years old, I announced to my parents that I was going to be an actress, <laughs> and I enrolled in a children's theater program, and uh, along the way, I realized I sort of had a a kind of a decent singing voice and <laughs> started taking voice lessons and then I went to a performing arts high school which my mother was the director of and uh, so I had a lot of experience through school and then I went to New York at 17 that was back in the 70s the mid 70s and that was very bold and I was kind of naive and didn't realize how hard it would be <laughs> but it was wonderful I um, I worked really hard I I uh, to pay my rent and pay for my schooling. I would clean apartments and I would paint all night and sell my paintings on the street. And um, before you know it, I, uh, I was, when I was 18, I made my debut uh, off-Broadway in, in creating the role of Della in Gift of the Magi, which was my first role. I may need you to talk to my daughter, who also at five thinks that she wants to go out and be an actress. Um, but then again, you actually have such a success story that maybe you shouldn't talk to her. Like, I'm going to New York at 17, too. Um, you did so much uh, on stage uh, in New York and, and off-Broadway, but when, when do you first start to hear about the role of Beauty and the Beast, the, the animated Disney film? Well, I had actually been performing on Broadway uh, in several different productions and whatever, and um, I was a huge fan of Alan and, and Howard Ashman, and I, I saw The Little Mermaid and loved it, and they announced it in the New York Times, Beauty and the Beast, and I told my agent, I have to have an audition, please, please, please. And I went in with 500 other actresses and some stars, big stars, but I just had this odd feeling that it was my part. And I'm, I'm usually not real confident when I audition. I'm just really glad once I get the job. And my husband-to-be uh, that week, my, say hi to Michael. That's Michael. <laughs> well, I auditioned five times and Michael proposed to me on my birthday and the next day I got offered Belle and Beauty and the Beast. So it was quite a week. <laughs> Had you ever done um, any voiceover work before? Because obviously it's, that kind of role is very different than being out on stage every day. Yeah, the voiceover work that I had done is very different, though. When you're you know, selling you know, ice cream or selling iced tea, which I, I had a Lipton commercial, and I had a Maxwell House, and you know, those kind of things paid the rent. But Belle, you're truly you're, you're treating it as though it's a film. I mean, it's a character, full-embodied character with several levels, and... You have to be able to portray that through your voice. And um, I was just very fortunate that I identified a lot with the character and they liked what I, I did. And at what point in the filmmaking process are you brought in? 
actually, um, they had done, pretty much just done the storyboard for it. And the movie took four years to make. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Most of it was hand-drawn except for the, the ballroom sequence. And a typical week, it would take an animator a whole week to draw 20 seconds of film. And it was, so it was crazy. It was a long process. So I was on the picture for two and a half years. Um, we would record a little bit, and then they'd, they'd uh, go, they'd videotape us. So that's why, you know, the hair in the eye, that was me. I had hair in my eyes and little things that they take, the animators take and make it real, you know. And uh, then we go away, and we come back. And then at one point, uh, they had finished um, Be Our Guest, and they threw it all out and decided it was wrong. So the, originally, it was, um, they were singing it to um, Maurice, the father, and they decided that it needed to be sung to Belle. So that was about four months of work. That was, uh, but they were perfectionists, and I, you know, that's why the movie was so great, because they would not settle for anything but the best. And some of those changes that you talk about, you know, relatively so far into the process, tell us after you were brought in, how Belle herself changed? Well, she liked books a lot more. <laughs> Belle was the first brown-eyed princess, which I was really excited about. And um, they, they just took... A little, I'm kind of odd, okay? <laughs> I, I identify with the odd side of Belle because I was always odd as a kid. You know, I was listening to Gershwin when I grew up instead of Led Zeppelin. And, you know, <laughs> I was into art and... Um, so that Linda Wolverton and I are very much alike in that way, and that she sort of went with it with me. And uh, the great thing was, which they don't do anymore, is that Robbie Benson and I, the Beast, got to record together, and we requested that. He's such a great actor. And I was cast a month or so before he was, and they had a Beast initially, which was a voiceover actor, and found out that he, he couldn't do the character of you know the Beast. So... Robbie Benson comes along, and I think he actually auditioned and didn't say who he was because he was afraid of prejudice. <laughs> I think he used a different name. Was that true? I think it is. <laughs> there you go. And then uh, he got hired, and oh my gosh, that's when it all came to life, when I started recording with Robbie. He's a brilliant actor, brilliant director. And so how much, if any, of Paige is there in Bell? You know, coming on so relatively early in the process, how much input are you able to have either on the way the character looks or the way she sounds or, you know, Belle wouldn't do this, she wouldn't say this, or she should be more like this? There were a couple of scenes that I talked them into changing. And it wasn't just me, it was Robbie also. Um, but I don't know if you want to know this. There was kind of a violent... It was, I, I'll just tell you, the wolf scene was much more violent than it ended up being. And I am so glad that it, they didn't go overboard with that. I, it offended me with what they were doing, but... They changed that totally, but but in terms of the character and my voice, it was weird. I, I got hired and I came into my first session, and <laughs> and Howard Ashman says, "Whoa, stop, Ethel Merman, you're not playing to the balcony here," because <laughs> like, I was so used to projecting, you know. And <laughs> he said, "No, we, what are you doing? You know, this this big, high, loud voice." He says, "No, no, no, we want your voice." Um, we want her to sound older and more soulful and and wise and so really you know it was just my voice made softer like for example I would um, what do I, like, give me a line Michael line I know line. <laughs> Gaston you are positively primeval. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was just me softer <laughs> and younger, a lot younger, 20 years ago. <laughs> well, what about visually? I mean, how does the, the character, does her look, I mean, doesn't her look change a little bit too from when you first came in? The original drawing that, I'm sure a lot of you being Disney you know, fans have seen the original drawing that James Baxter did, and she was too perfect. I mean, she was... She was just too beautiful. She had this perfect jaw. She was like Angelina Jolie at her best, you know? I mean, it was just too, it was almost intimidatingly beautiful. And they decided just to get, make her a little more identifiable with young women. And she was still pretty, but she was a little more quirky. And um, they took, uh, I went in one day and the animators had all these famous women on the, on the storyboard. And I saw Liz Taylor and I saw, Oh my gosh, Vivian Lee and all these people and Natalie Wood and then there was my funny picture on the bottom and I was like, what is my picture doing up there? And, it's like, and they said, well, we're going to take your cheekbones and the shape of your eyes and we're going to take this from Liz Taylor and this, you know, so it was kind of funny that they did that. And I think that's part of what makes Belle so relatable and so attractive. I mean, she is my favorite princess, not just because you're sitting here, but oh, because thank she's you. My you have good taste. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just got thrown off track. Um, I'm sitting with Belle, my favorite princess. Um, but you know, Belle is she's a different type of a princess. She's a different type of a character because from the very beginning, not to take away from the other princesses, but. Her quest is not for her prince. She's not it's, seeking out a man. Exactly. The She's beginning. the only one that, that isn't looking for a prince. She's, she wants adventure. She wants knowledge. Um, she, she winds up, of, co of course, you know, I, I think one of the most remarkable parts of the character that, that they wrote was the fact she really did not hesitate to sacrifice her life for her father. And um, I think that a lot of people don't talk about that enough. But, but, but the beast, I mean... <laughs> I think that's one of the greatest characters ever written in any of the Disney films and the way, the growth that he has and the wonderful way that Belle was written to help him change throughout the film. I think part of what makes this film special is it's just not a great retelling of a classic story and it goes back to that classic Disney animation, but in oftentimes in Disney films, it is the music that makes the film. It's what makes the film memorable. That's true. What was, what was the, the process of creating the music like for you? Oh, man. I was, I was in such awe of Alan and Howard. And, and I found out later after I was cast that Howard Ashman was actually a fan of my showboat recording, which I had done with EMI Records and Friedrich von Stada, the opera singer, if you all know her. She was great. And it had won all kinds of awards. So he was already, I, you know, had his eye on me because of that. But working with the two of them, they, it was, it was amazing. They, they wrote uh, something there after I was cast. They'd written the other songs already. Um, and Beauty and the Beast, uh, it was kind of a sad story, but also inspiring story. When the f we had our first press conference, um, Howard had, was really sick by that time and was in the hospital. And uh, he hadn't heard his song sung yet, and they want, Angie didn't want to sing it for the press conferences. It so cra cracks me up. Angela Lansbury, the great, you know, nervous about press conferences. So they asked me to sing Beauty and the Beast. I went over to, How to Alan's house, and he played the piano and taught it to me, and, and we called up Howard on the phone, and I sang Beauty and the Beast to him over the phone. And he said, I'm so excited. He said, 
you know, I finally get to hear my song, and that was the last time I got to talk with Howard. So I have a very soft spot in my heart for that song. Certainly, and obviously, you know, Alan Menken, uh, you know, the scope and the breadth of his work, I mean, this is just another sort of feather in it. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, even I just listened to the other side of, you know, listening just to the orchestrations of, you know, the, the, the non-sung music is unbelievable. And then, of course, all the Oscar nominations that they had. And I'll never forget, I got a call from Jeffrey Katzenberg, and he said, your song, Bell, is nominated along with, you know, all these others, and how do you want to feel about singing on the Oscars? And I was like, ah, I'm screaming. <laughs> so that all came about, and uh, I went to wardrobe. This was kind of strange. I don't know if you guys saw it. Did you, did you see the Oscars that year? Anybody out here old enough to remember that? A few of us are old enough. Well, they didn't put me in a dress that looked like Belle. It looked like Bo Peep. It was, it was like stripes up and down and square, and then these little pantaloon things that stuck out down here, and it was horrible, and these big, gigantic ruffles. And, but it was this famous designer, and I had to wear it. And I was like, I don't, keep your mouth shut, Paige, just sing the song, you know? <laughs> and I'm sharing the dressing room with Celine Dion, and she was very young at that time and just become hugely famous. And, oh, my gosh, she was, you know, like 23 years old, very poised. And she's in the dressing room, and she's, you know, talking, blah, 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 to herself and putting on her makeup. And they come in, and they said, Miss um, Dion, we want you to wear your red dress tonight because Angela Lansbury's going to wear black. And they were doing it to the song together. And she said, nope, I paid a lot of money for that dress. I'm wearing my black dress. Thank you. Back to the mirror, and I looked at her, and I was like, how did you do that? Look at me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm all these years older than you. I'm, I've been on Broadway, and I have, don't have the guts to say I can't wear this Bo Peep dress. And, and she said, Paige, sometimes you have to learn to be a, the B word. <laughs> Belle. You need to be Belle. <laughs> Belle. A bad, uh, the bad she, Belle. She meant Belle. She, the bad the Belle. <laughs> bad Belle. And I, I said, no, I can't be bad Belle. Bell's not bad. <laughs> so I just, luckily the cameraman hated the dress too and he shot me mostly from the waist up. <laughs> but right before I went out, one other Oscar moment, uh, Angela Lansbury was introducing me and I, I gotta admit, I, you know, they give you the chance to, to lip sync or sing live and I thought, I'm a Broadway singer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing live, you know. Uh, I guess the year before Madonna forgot her words or something happened, and <laughs> whatever. But right before I was going on, I was like this, shaking. And Angela Lansbury was standing next to me and she was shaking and I said, Angie, how come you're nervous? And she said, when you get to be my age, honey, you learn when you're supposed to be nervous, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> and then she just reached down to me and I could barely feel it because of all the pantaloons I was wearing, but she patted me on the rear end and she said, if I sang like you though, I would not be nervous. <laughs> so it was so sweet. And then I come out in a little town, it's a quiet village, and I see Barbara Streisand, Nick Nolte, <laughs> right in the front row. It was crazy. And in addition to the music, look, the film itself, um, you know, was the first to be nominated for an, an Academy Award. At some point when you're working on it, do you realize that we're doing something here that, that's out of the ordinary? We're doing something that, pardon the cliche, is truly special, or is it, does that moment come when the Oscar nomination comes, or when you finally see the first film? Well, I knew from the beginning it was going to be special. I mean, my favorite, I was, as a child, I was affected, my life changed when I saw Mary Poppins. It, it, 
and Julie Andrews. She was my idol. And um, I knew just from the script and the score it was going to be a hit. But we had no idea of the, of the amount of years that, and that it would be nominated for the Oscar and, and the influence that these characters would have for each generation. And the one point that I knew, though, um, Michael and I, we, we had a screening at the New York Film Festival, and it wasn't completed yet. It was just the, the critics saw portions of it, still just, you know, the drawings, and then some of it fully animated, a lot of it black and white. And I was, you know, coming from New York and knowing how tough those critics are, I was, you know, I was kind of shaken in the back, and so was Alan Menken and Howard, and we were, okay, how are they going to take it? How are they going to take it? Well, 10 minutes standing ovation by the New York critics, and I thought, this is, this is something. We have something really special here. And uh, it turned out to be just, truthfully, I just feel so blessed. Because I, I have a handful of girlfriends that would have been wonderful as Belle, too. And um, I guess it was just my turn. But did you ever think that years later, you know, you will forever be Belle? Not just because after the film, you continue to be Bell in consumer products and DVDs and, and collectible figures and whatever the it is. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought 20 years later? But you know, it's so, been so wonderful because Michael and I, um, we've had the chance you know, to do so much more charity work because you know, as a Broadway actress, there's only a limited amount of audience that you can you know, appear at an event and raise money for. And uh, you know, we can go to hospitals, we can do things and, and Bell can accomplish things a lot, you know, more than Paige can. <laughs> you know, there have been instances where, you know, make a wish or whatever, sick children, and I call up Disney and I said, this little girl was in a horrible accident, and what's her name? Give me a little, and they'd send me a box of toys to take to her. And, um, you know, these amazing stories. I also think you might find it interesting. My husband, Michael, played the beast in the Broadway version. Michael, come up and say hey. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Michael um, uh, played Raoul in Phantom of the Opera in L.A. for three years. And he's, he came to New York. I've been in New York for 10 years when he came. He, went and got, he was a scientist first and then an actor. And that's, right. that's why we're still together. He's more the biologist than he is the actor temperament. We've never done a show together. That's why we're still together. <laughs> 22 years this year, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> but it was crazy when, um, when Michael was offered the role of the Beast in the L.A. version and uh, for me to sit in the audience and, and, and watch it. And Anyway, just tell him a little bit about that. About Beast? Yes. Well, it was, uh, you know, it was a big decision for Paige because uh, uh, her being a, a Broadway girl, uh, the opportunity for her to create a role on Broadway, it's pretty unusual. You know, you do a lot of revivals, but when a new piece comes along and you would get to originate it. So it was a very difficult decision for her. Uh, but she had um, an offer to go do a production of South Pacific in Australia and um, talked to Jeffrey, called her up and said, look, if you want to do this, I will make this happen for you. And she thought about it and she said, ultimately, you know, the film is so perfect that I'm just going to leave it alone and not do it, you know. Uh, which was she thought she was too old to do Belle at the time, and the New York critics. Did you notice the recurring theme here about the New York critics? Uh, which, you know, give or take. Uh, but 
the show, the Broadway version, kind of is, is the same, but uh, it, it takes a little different path. And when I was hired to do The Beast in the Los Angeles production, I got to work with uh, uh, Rob Roth, who was the director of, this, of the stage version. And uh, Susan Egan was doing Bell there, who did originate it in New York and came to, to Los Angeles to do it. And Rob Roth was the director. Terry Mann was the original Beast uh, on Broadway. And when I saw Terry do it, you know, I thought it was really interesting and really fun, but I always thought Terry, Terry did a lot of, quote, quote, what I call bits. And I, you know, so when I went into it, uh, I said uh, I wanted to make the Beast more like Robbie Benson because that's what I thought. I said, you know, I think, you know, Lumiere and Cogsworth and those guys are there for the bits and the laughs, and the Beast is there to tell the story and, and make you fall in love with him and Belle, and that's what it was about. And uh, so I, I worked with, you know, the people that were putting me into the show, and and um, uh, the director came in, and Linda Wolverton came in to see my run-through, and she came up to me afterwards, and she was like, oh, thank you, thank you, you know, I think it's great, you're the most like Robbie anybody's, you know, ever been, and and uh, then the director came to my dressing room and walked in and said, uh, I don't know, Michael, you just, you took all the bits out, and I gave him this whole spiel about what I thought it should be, and he nodded and smiled and said, put him back in. <laughs> <laughs> So I think ultimately, you know, Paige probably made the right decision in doing it, but it was something that we never got to do together. And uh, we did go to Japan and, and tour with the uh, Tokyo Philharmonic there and do a, a concert version of it. Uh, but now we're both, uh, we're both too long in the tooth to go back and do that anymore. So, but it was great fun. Uh, other than the suit, it was... Speak for yourself. It was great fun. I'll go back and do it. <laughs> I refuse to be old. <clears throat> that was pretty exciting, though. 110-piece orchestra. Oh, my gosh. We played 21 cities in Japan. It was amazing. So, so you're not old. It's all a state of mind. <laughs> but, you know, when we think about Beauty and the Beast, it, it was 20 years ago. Um, and more recently, you know, again, the film nominated, the, the music nominated, and the, the Oscars and all that had. But for you personally... Uh, last year at the D23 Expo, you were inducted, uh, appropriately so, as a Disney legend. Yeah, that was a moment I'll never forget. We need a little... Thank you. It's, um... Well, how did you, how did they let you know about the Legend Award, and what has it been like for you? Well, they let us know in advance because they knew I'd be, like, weeping if I found out. <laughs> but it was, um, it meant so much to me. And I actually suggested to Jody and Leia that we sing for it because we were only supposed to just come up and take our award. And I thought, you know, all these princesses together, and, and Anika Noni was there and got her award. And I said, wouldn't this be cool? And Disney was thrilled, of course. And they said, all right, but let's keep it a secret. So... Uh, when I came out, I was the first one to sing. I don't know if some of you might have been there or not, but the music started, and I walked out, and people started crazy screaming. And I looked up in the uh, second balcony, and I saw this big banner, I love Paige O'Hara, and I was like, oh, I was like, how am I going to sing now? And I got very choked up, but I sang fine. I did okay. <clears throat> and it was a really, I think... Uh, Something that I think the princesses should get together more and sing. That's what I think.
I want to hopefully leave time for uh, people to ask you some questions who may be here in the audience because, sure. again, it's such a rare opportunity. But before we yeah. do, two quick things I want to get to. And one is uh, about them. It's about the enthusiasts, the fans of the film and the fans of Paige. Because now, uh, do you find that you're getting recognized as Belle? And, and when you come to events like this, and I certainly want to talk about your art, but when you, when you come to events like this, what is it like now being able to have fans who saw the film first in theaters and <laughs> other fans who are seeing it now sort of the, for the first time coming up to you? Oh, I love it. I love it. And because demographically, you know, I have fans that are older than my, myself which is, and ones that are, you know, four or five years old. And I get mail from everybody. And, and, and the film affects so many different people in so many different ways. And... And being, I was a Disney fanatic before I got this film. I mean, Mary Poppins got me hooked, and I kid with Michael. When I literally, when I was so poor, starting out in New York, and I, I was poor, I would still every Saturday go do the double Disney feature just to keep my my mind open and like not be so sad about how am I going to pay my rent. But uh, <laughs> so I, I was a Disney fan before, and I, I just am so grateful that there's so many still Disney fans in this crazy world that we're in now. And I think it's probably the number of fans for Disney is even larger now than ever, which is phenomenal. Absolutely, and events like this that help bring people together oh, and give it's, us a chance it's wonderful. To, to meet you. Oh, it's so wonderful. Thank you all yeah. so much for coming. I appreciate it. And you are still performing, you are still entertaining. Uh, but you are a Disney enthusiast, and you are incredibly gifted, not just with your voice and your presence on stage, but you've also started doing something else, too. And you've sort of brought Belle to literally another canvas. <laughs> it was funny. I, I, I've been painting since I was three years old. And um, in fact, when I told you about that acting class I took when I was five and six, I had a very mean teacher. She was, it wasn't... Me, well, she was mean. I'm just going to be honest. She, she, she was one of those teachers that was just so hard on you, you felt like you could never succeed. And so I started getting smart and bringing her a little painting every week and a little watercolor. And she started being nicer to me. <laughs> Many years later, and I'm successful, she said, I thought you were going to be an artist and not an actress. I'm really proud of you. You, you didn't let me you know, torment you too much that you gave it up. But... Um, so I started painting then, and I, I copied uh, famous artists like Turner and Sargent and um, attempted to copy Da Vinci. And um, I, I, Michael uh, and I had an event where I was meeting with Rodell, one of the f famous Disney fine art artists, and he said, I know that you have beautiful paintings because I've seen some of the Christmas cards you've made. And Anyway, Michael got worked it out that I bring one of my paintings, which is the Bell by Bell, which you'll see out there. And Rodell was very kind to let me have my art next to his, and it sold right away. And Michael Young was there that night, who's the head of Disney Fine Art, and he said, let's talk. And I signed with Disney of Fine Art two years ago. So now I'm painting Beauty and the Beast oil paintings, uh, pretty much for a whole second full-time job. <laughs> so it's great. It's a great honor. And they're beautiful, and you brought some uh, to share with us as well, too. Um, again, they are, you know, it's bell by bell. So um, do we have time, Don, for quest audience questions? Yes. <clears throat> Hi. Hi. Uh, one of my favorite 
um, singers from the classic Disney films is Mary Costa from Sleeping oh. Beauty. Have you ever met her? Yes, many times. Yes. I'm a huge fan of Mary's. I know she's older, but she still participates in Disney events, and it would be great to see Mary sing with you, the current oh, princess. Oh, I would love it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I would know? love it. We have to talk her into that. <laughs> Um, I think everyone's thinking this, but uh, could you sing for us? <laughs> All right, well, I don't have my accompaniment. Diane, you know, this is morning for me. I'm a late night person, but if you'll help sing along with me, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. There goes the baker with his tray, like always, the same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning just the same Since the morning that we came To this poor provincial town <laughs> Thank you I promise next time I'll warm up And really sing for you <laughs> Any other questions? During the scene in Beauty and the Beast when Belle was caught in the West Wing, um, did you record that with Robbie Benson or were you separate? Uh, when, when he sees me about to touch the rose? Yes. That was done separate. Um, You're an amazing actress for faking that biggest scare. <laughs> <laughs> there were only, that's interesting you brought that up because there were only two places that we weren't together. That was one... And then when in the wolf scene, when I'm on, on Philippe riding through, and um, they said, we're not going to let you see this in advance. We're going to put you on a microphone, and you react naturally. So that was the only time that they actually had the animation first. So. Hi. Um, one of the things that made Belle so relatable to me growing up was her love of literature. And I was yes. just wondering, what is Belle's favorite book and what is Paige's favorite book? Oh, gosh. <laughs> the Bible's my favorite book. <laughs> I, love, I love to read. I, you know, Michael says you know, I'm from another century because I still like buy books and stuff. He bought me a Kindle Fire to start actually using it. But I like to read everything. I like to read everything. I, um, my recent craze was the James Patterson Maximum Ride series, and I want to see that made into a film. And that Max character, my mom, before she passed away, the first book, When the Wind Blows, had just come out, and she said, Paigey, you remind me so much of Max. you got to read this. And I was so flattered. I was like, Mom, I didn't know I was that strong. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty tough, but, no, but I, I love everything, I, and I love the classics, you know. And I also really, my mom, her influence on me was Shakespeare, because she taught Shakespeare. So my, actually, my first role in New York was a, show, a showcase where I didn't get paid, but I played Juliet, in Romeo and Juliet, and that was really cool. I was actually in an acting class briefly with Meryl Streep, and uh, Joanna Merlin was our teacher, and I only got to do like two two classes with her. She just was becoming famous so quickly. And I remember the second time I worked on it in class on Juliet on the monologue. Um, she said, just walked by me and said, nailed it. Nailed it. Go get it. <laughs> <Just> like <that. laughs> and she wasn't the famous Meryl Streep, but we all in class knew she would be because she was in her late 20s, like early 30s, and you, you just, it was right before Kramer versus Kramer. And 
So that was kind of cool. I think I have time for one more. Yes. My favorite singers? Well, my very favorite growing up was Judy Garland. Mm. And uh, my mother and I would sing along with Judy and dance around the living room. And actually, last year, I was able to take a break from my show, which I'm doing at the Luxor now in the Las Vegas. I took a couple months off and played Judy in a new production that's being rewritten as we speak. It was too long. It was three hours long. It, it was a lot of work. I spent, I studied over 2,000 hours of, of film and tape on Judy. And hopefully we're going to put it back on its feet soon. But Judy was my favorite, but Julie Andrews, Barbara Streisand, operatically I love Maria Callas. And, um, so. so I had a lot of favorites. Ella Fitzgerald. Um, so a lot of idols, but Judy was the one that, so uh, first, thank you and welcome to the Pacific Northwest over here on house left, stage right. <laughs> Hi. Yes. I know it's hard to see with the lights. There you are. So with such a long lead time in creating this production, uh, how do you as an artist ensure continuity from what would have possibly been recorded a year earlier to your character's growth and how do you ensure that continuity as an artist? Do you know what's interesting? It, the, that was the genius of the directors, um, Kirk and Gary, because if we had been gone for months, we'd start back at the beginning of the film and we would either listen to what they've, they've kept in the can or we'd just go on and read it again and do it again. And there are a couple instances where they thought they had what they wanted and then a year later, they liked what we did better. So we would start from the beginning. Otherwise, it would have been kind of odd and confusing, yeah. Unfortunately, this is always the problem um, with this is that we're limited in time okay. because I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> you know, being able to help share your stories with everybody here and everybody who's watching and listening is, uh, is wonderful for me, but I must tell you on a personal level what an amazing uh, gift this is to me to be able to meet and talk to somebody whose work I've admired, who's has helped you know my children watch you. My you know my daughter grows up, and when I told her that I was going to be talking to Belle, her you know for again five minutes, I was the best dad on the planet. <laughs> so thank you for the gift to me, but to everybody who continues to enjoy your work, generation after generation and year after year. Um, well, the Lord blessed me with a wonderful part, and it's a lifelong dream, and that's come true. And thank you all so much for enjoying the film and for coming to this event. I really appreciate it and I hope to meet all of you. Thanks. It's time for the Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I challenge you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or details, maybe play a sound clip or quote a line from an attraction or show, ask you to identify where in Walt Disney World you may have heard it. I'll randomly select one winner each week for a Disney prize package. But before we get to this week's question, let's go back to last week, review the question, give you the answer, and select our winner. So last week, we talked about food in Walt Disney World, and I said how everything in Walt Disney World speaks, meaning everything has a story, including even the restaurants. And so what I asked you to do was tell me what Walt Disney World restaurant 
was inspired by a 1955 Disney animated feature film. All I needed was the name, and you all again came through. Hundreds of you got it right that Lady and the Tramp inspired Tony's Town Square restaurant in the Magic Kingdom. Remember the Trattoria or Lady and the Tramp sort of shared the spaghetti and the kiss in the Disney classic film. Again, congratulations to all of you who got it right. We did randomly select one winner, and this week's winner who receives all six of my audio walking tours, a WDW Radio luggage tag, button, and a Disney Parks Vinylmation is... Christina Fahey. So, Christina, congratulations. Please send me your address. I'll send you out your prize package. If you didn't win, that's okay because here is this week's trivia question of the week. So, after talking with Paige O'Hara this week, I thought it appropriate to ask a Beauty and the Beast related question, but needed to tie it back to Walt Disney World. So, as you know, Beauty and the Beast is performed multiple times daily at the Theater of the Stars right on stage on Sunset Boulevard at Disney's Hollywood Studios. The attraction premiered on November 21st, 1991. And so your question this week is, what's the significance of that date? And here's a little bit of hint for you exactly what I'm looking for. Something else tied to the film happened that day for the very first time ever. Something else tied to the Beauty and the Beast film happened on the same day that the attraction premiered. What was it? Email me at contest at wdwradio.com. You have until 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, August 12th. Again, to will be playing for all six of the audio tours, a luggage tag, button, and why not? We'll throw in a vinylmation as well, too. Good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. If this week's show sounds a little bit different, it's only because I'm out on the West Coast. Just came down from the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet up in Seattle. Just arrived down in Disneyland for D23's Destination D event this coming weekend. Be sure and follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I am at Lou Mangiello or Facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello as I'll be covering the event live, broadcasting when I can, sharing photos, videos as well. Speaking of Destination D, I'll also have some bonus audio for this week on the WDW Radio blog. I'll be posting my interviews with Jeffrey Epstein and Tim O'Day from D23. We'll be talking about the events, what people can be looking for, and what may be in the future for for D23. Definitely stay tuned again to the blog for that. A couple of other quick reminders. Don't forget to join us this and every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDW Radio Live. This week, I'll be live in Disneyland Talking about this week's Walt Disney World and Disney News, you can watch and chat with us in the chat room by visiting www.radiolive.com. Speaking of the blog, don't forget to check the WDW Radio blog every day. There's lots of new information, guest posts, photos, polls, contests as well. We'll be announcing the winner of our logo contest coming soon, as well as more information about the WDW Radio Cruise the e-ticket event, and lots more. You can find it all right on the website over at wdwradio.com. Also, if you want to be part of the show, I'd love to hear from you. 
Call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Or email me if you have a question at lou at wdwradio.com. Stay tuned for information coming very soon about the next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World. Probably the weekend of August 18th. I'll be having that information coming to you probably later on this week. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my recommended travel provider. Whether you're going to Disney World, Disneyland, Adventures by Disney, or Disney Cruise Line Vacation, they give you the best possible prices. All available discounts at no additional cost to you. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. When you're coming down to Disney World, stay at allstarvacationhomes.com. If you want your own townhouse or condo with multiple master bedrooms, private pool, kitchen, spa, and lots more. But if you want to stay in the heart of Disney, I love staying at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin. Probably because of the heavenly beds, really more likely because of the 17 world-class restaurants and lounges, including Blue Zoo, Shula's, and lots more. You can visit them over at swananddolphin.com. You want to get a little Disney magic delivered to you right at home or on your iPad? Visit celebrationspress.com. Bi-monthly magazine celebrating all things Disney, now available as a digital version on your iPad. You can also check this week's show notes for a direct link to the iTunes store as well. And finally, you know that I love food. Disney Food Blog says it, and I believe it. Food is a theme park. Well, they now have the Disney Food Blog Guide to Walt Disney World. 300 pages of info, tips, guides, and so much more, including worksheets, scavenger hunts, and sample dining itineraries. They'll also save you 20% if you use the code WDWRADIO over at dfbstore.com. Links to all these are going to be right on the site over at wdwradio.com. Cutting the, um, cut the announcements a little bit short this week. Again, because uh, I'm out in Disneyland, stay tuned for more coverage of Destination D, more interviews from the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet, lots of other segments as well, too. More importantly, as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether you have met yet or not, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Tell your friends. Share it on Facebook, Pinterest, Google+, or on your favorite discussion forum. And please, come by, rate, and review the show. Very, very important. Very helpful over in iTunes. Finally, and most importantly, I hope that every day you focus on the positive and take positive steps towards fulfillment of your dreams and always, always keep moving forward. I hope you guys have a great week this week. Hope to see you on Wednesday. Hope to see you this weekend if you're going to be out in Disneyland. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, this is Blake Taylor. Um, I write um, some of the teen columns for the WDW Radio blog, and I am calling you live from Main Street, USA at Disneyland. Um, we have been to Walt Disney World many times, um, headed out to California for the first time this summer. Not directly because of Cars Land, but Cars Land was certainly an incentive. Um, and you were absolutely right on your podcast. The Imagineers have just outdone themselves. I know we say it um, about every new thing they come up with, but they have truly um, just immersed guests in the world of Radiator Springs. Um, and I think it's a huge indicator of the type of experiences that um, we'll be seeing coming up on New Fantasyland and the Magic Kingdom. Just outstanding. And then on top of that, um, just been wonderful to stroll the park that Walt, Walt actually strolled himself. Um, a lot of history here, and I would definitely say Orlando fans um, definitely uh, make it a priority to get yourself out here at least once. I don't think it'll be um, quite as a regular thing for us as Disney World, but um, just to come out here at least once um, has just been incredible. 
um, wrapping up our day here today, and um, we're looking forward to coming back home with lots of memories. Thanks, and keep up the great work of the show. You've got a friend.